0: thank you so much take your bibles and turn with me to the gospel of john this morning we're going to look primarily at john chapter one but i want you to turn first of all to john chapter eight you know when i read the passage in john chapter one that we'll read in a minute there's a lot of mystery involved in it there's a lot of Places there that's talking about something that took place before time even began. Uh, John 1 is what I call the cosmic Christmas story. You have Matthew and you have Luke who tell us the earthly Christmas story. Uh, Pastor Ricky read from, from Matthew earlier and we'll read from Luke on Christmas Eve a good bit in, in increments as different people do readings on the passages of scripture there but but with john he gives us that cosmic view of christmas the cosmic view of the of the advent he he doesn't start with the birth he doesn't start with shepherds and and all of that and angels proclaiming it from the sky but he starts in eternity past and talks about how god invaded earth literally christ who was pre-existent before the incarnation christ who has always existed, how he entered this earth for a very specific reason, and he'll talk about that. But one of the passages that I think is sort of a follow-up to John chapter 1 is John chapter 8. And if you look there in John chapter 8, our, our key there is verse 58, but if you look at the verses before it, and I just want to read that passage starting in verse 48 because I think it's important. It says, The Jews answered him, <coughs> gonna have to forgive me today allergies are crazy for some reason the Jews answered him are are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon and Jesus answered, that I do not have a demon but I honor my father and you dishonor me yet I do not seek my own glory there is one who seeks it and he is the judge truly truly I say to you If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. It's an interesting statement. If anyone keeps my word, if anyone keeps the things that I am speaking and teaching and telling you, he will not see death. That greatly perplexed those Jewish leaders who were questioning him there. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did all the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. In other words, Abraham and the prophets were about as godly and righteous as you could ever find, according to these people. And yet they believed in God, they trusted God, they followed God, and yet they died. But you come along, Jesus, and you say, but if you hear my words and obey my words, you will never die. Are you saying that you're greater than Abraham and the prophets, our father and the prophets? Quite a perplexing thing. They died. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. My father is the one you claim to be your God. But you have not known him. You may know something about him. You may know a little bit of the history, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, he saw it and was glad. Now, just picture that. You stand there talking to these Jewish leaders, these, these biblical scholars, if you will, and they're questioning him. And he said, Listen, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. He was thrilled that my day was coming. And you can almost see the wheels turning in the Jewish leaders' minds as they're going, Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're born, you're here, and, and he was to live there, and, and you're saying he saw your day and he rejoiced in it. They were really greatly perplexed. And so they said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And it says... John tells us they picked up stones to throw at him, to execute him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That is a dramatic scene where Jesus is expressing what John said in John chapter 1. He's saying, listen, Abraham was great. Abraham was the father of the faith. Abraham had all these promises. And we'll look at those promises on on Tuesday night, just a little bit as we move from the fall to the incarnation. But, but Jesus I want you to know, Abraham, your father, that great father of the faith, and all those prophets that came after him, they saw my day. God showed them I was coming. Everything they said and everything they did was pointing to me. They were preparing the way for me. A- and Abraham rejoiced in that and was thrilled about that. And you just don't understand it. Before Abraham was past tense, before Abraham was, past tense, I am, present tense, perfect present tense, always in the present tense. And of course, when they heard him say those words, they picked up stones because now they really knew he had a demon and now they really knew that he was blaspheming against God. Because he was saying these, these, those two little words that you and I use every day. If you say, are you coming to the show uh, this afternoon? You might say, I am. And we think nothing about that because we know what you mean by that. You mean, yes, I'm coming. We, we use I am all the time. But when Jesus used those two words in the context of before Abraham was, I am, they heard the absolute covenant name of God being spoken. They heard the words that were spoken to Moses at the burning bush. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And he said, you tell them that I am has sent you. And they heard that and they knew that he was claiming to be greater than Abraham, greater than the prophets. He was indeed claiming to be God manifest in the flesh. And so John gives us there Jesus' commentary, if you will, on what he says in those beginning verses of John's gospel. Turn there with me to John chapter 1. And the Apostle John, in in these verses, takes his cue, if you will, from the book of Genesis. The first book of the Bible, which begins, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and He shaped it and He created it out of nothing. And He takes that cue with in the beginning, but He doesn't talk about creation to begin with. He talks about Christ. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, now He comes to creation, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him, that is the Word, that is Christ Himself, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it, though it may try over and over and over again. We'll see that in a minute. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's not John the Apostle writing in the book, it's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives life to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, yet the world did not know Him, did not recognize Him, did not acknowledge Him. They did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him, the ones that He created and the ones He established an Old Testament covenant through Abraham with. They did not know Him. They 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 did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son, the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried, This is He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because He was before me. Wait a minute. Jesus is younger than John the Baptist. But John said, He ranks above me because He came before me. He was before me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. No one has ever seen God, the only God, but He who is at the Father's side, the the second person of the Trinity, the Son Himself, has made Him known. It may very well be said that the main purpose of Jesus coming to the earth, apart from His redemptive work, which He did accomplish, which we... Talk about more at Easter than we do it at Christmas. But, but if it's not for the incarnation, and, and that, then there would never have been the cross and the resurrection. And if there were not the cross and resurrection, His birth and incarnation would have had no significance either. They go together. The cross was always behind the cradle, always behind the manger. But the secondary purpose for which Jesus came into the world was to show us and make known to us who God is. And what he's like, what his character is, what his holiness is, what his, what his righteousness is. And how he sent his son in order to reveal himself to us that we might be redeemed through this son and might come to know God. When Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he said, Father, I, I, I pray that you may make yourself known to them. And that they may be in you as I am in you. And that there may be this unity that they might know you. He said, this is what eternal life is. This is what eternal life is all about. It's that they may know you. He came in order to show us who God is. He came to teach, yes. He came to do miracles, yes, which all pointed to who He was. But He came primarily to reveal God to be our propitiation, to be our redemption, to be our Savior and our substitute. What a glorious, beautiful truth that is about His coming. But I want you to see a couple of things that John talks about here because I think they're very significant as as we think about this particular season. When he talks about in the beginning was the Word, that is the beginning before the beginning, if you will. Before the creation of the world, before there was anything, Jesus was already there. He was with God, and He was God. He was there at creation, and all things were created through Him. That is such an amazing truth that we must grasp during Advent, during Christmas time. That that Jesus was not born or have a beginning in that manger. If He did, He was just like us. But he was born of the Virgin Mary, brought about by the Holy Spirit. It was God's holy work in her life, looking down and choosing her out of all the people on the earth to say this young woman will be the one who will bear the Redeemer. This one who holds that baby in her arms after the birth, she's holding after birth, The one who created her. Think about that. Think about the mystery of that. Think about the glory of that. Then in verse 9, John writes, the true light. John the Baptist came to bear witness about the light, but we're talking about the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, because he already said apart from him would not have been anything made that was made. He was in the world. He made the world, and that the world did not acknowledge him. Did not know him. Their own creator. Now come to be their redeemer. And they never acknowledged him. They never saw it. They, they, they fought against it. The religious people fought against it. You, you, you find some shepherds who rejoice in it because the angels told them he was coming, but everybody else around was kind of ambivalent to the fact that this was a unique and a special and and, and a, a a miraculous birth that was taking place there in Bethlehem. Why did the world not acknowledge him? Well, in one sense we could say it's because they didn't they didn't see him. They didn't see him because they weren't looking for him. I heard. One sermon one time say that, you know, in, in all the world at that time when Jesus came, the whole world was looking for him and anticipating him. Nothing could be further from the truth. They were going about their religious rituals, and they were going about their festivals and their feasts and their Passovers and everything else. They were doing the right things as God had commanded them to do until this one came. But they were doing them as a means unto themselves. They were not doing them as an end unto themselves, not as a means to what was yet to come. To look to what was yet, they weren't looking for Him. Part of it was their own depravity. They were so caught up in themselves. They were so caught up in what they wanted and how they wanted to live and how they wanted to prescribe how they would worship God that they weren't even looking for the God who was yet to come and who was now coming. He was in the world. He created the world. And the world did not know Him. He even came to His own people. And His own people did not receive Him. But... By His grace and by the work of His Holy Spirit, some did receive Him. Not only in that first generation, but in generations after that, right on down to our own generation, God, in calling them and preparing them, brought them to Himself, and they believed. And all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave to them the right to become children of God. Adopted into the family. Paul will develop that later in his epistles he'll he'll develop this whole idea of to those who believed, those who were touched by his holy spirit and believed in him to them he gave the right the authority if you will to become the children of god not not natural born children because we were natural born children of the world as lost but he gave them the right to be adopted into his family of the most beautiful pictures of the gospel story is the picture of adoption he brought us into his family he gave us the right to become children of God who were born not of blood it's not a it's not a natural birth thing into the family of God nor the will of the flesh we can't will ourselves into it we can't say I'm going to I don't care what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to will myself into God's family. Can't do that. Nor the will of man. Someone else can't determine that you're going to come to Christ. I'm going to see that you come to Christ. And I'm going to make you come to Christ. You can't, that can't happen. It's not by the will of the flesh. It's not by the will of man. It's by what? The will of God. And God's working. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. That's the beauty of Advent. The light came to shine in the world and give light to all men as he was coming to the world, but that true light was sought to be eclipsed. Man sought to eclipse it. They they really wanted to put it out. When the wise men came sometime later uh, to, to worship this one who was born king of the Jews, they went to Herod and they said where is this one born king of the Jews and and Herod's thinking to himself I am the king of the Jews what are you talking about he said I don't know what you're talking about but let me get some religious leaders in here and said where is this king of the Jews supposed to be born Well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem according to to the prophets we'll see that on Christmas Eve also he's going to be born in Bethlehem and so the wise men said well we'll go to Bethlehem and see if we can find him and they they took off toward Bethlehem and Herod said hey I tell you what when when you find him come back and tell me so that I may go and worship him too not exactly what Herod wanted to do when the wise men found him and they worshiped him brought him gold and frankincense and myrrh and they they rejoiced that the king was born it said the lord told them not to go back to herod but to go back another way so as to avoid herod because herod didn't really want to go worship him Herod wanted to do what everybody else wanted to do. He wanted to put the light out. He wanted to extinguish the light, not just eclipse it, but extinguish it it forever. He wanted to kill that one who would make a claim to be king of the Jews. And So when the wise men didn't come back, he said, Well, there's only one way to be sure we can do that, less kill all the babies. They're two years and younger in Bethlehem. And we'll do that and we will see to it that this one has been destroyed. But of course, Mary and Joseph were warned by the Lord and they fled Bethlehem and went to Egypt. See a lot of memes today saying they were refugees. They were not refugees in the sense of what we think about refugees, but they were fleeing for their lives from a king who wanted to kill the king. The light came. And the world wanted to put it out. What was this? In verse 14, John gives the most beautiful description of the incarnation. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. Full of grace. Full of truth. Something lost in that translation, especially as the Jewish mind heard it. When we hear, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, we think, well, that's good. He came and he lived among us. That's, that's nice. The literal word there that's used that they would have heard in their language in that day is, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us tabernacled among us now if we translate it today and say the word became flesh and tabernacled most of us well I won't say us but most of the world would say what in the world does that mean well it means dwelt it means lived but it had a greater meaning for those Jewish minds that were hearing it because you see when they heard the word dwelt as we talk about it they heard the word tabernacled as John wrote it and spoke to them about it they thought not of just coming and living, coming and dwelling, but their minds again, just as with I am, went back to the burning bush, their minds went back to the tabernacle in the wilderness. As the Jewish people had left captivity and left slavery in Egypt and they began to wander through the wilderness all those 40 years and as they wandered they they prepared a worship place for God and they built a tabernacle and God gave them the dimensions. God gave them everything it was to be about. The size, the shape, the outer court, the inner court and the holy of holies And, and when they heard the word tabernacled and tabernacle, here's what they thought. When our ancestors were wandering in the wilderness and they wanted to worship God. God gave them a place to worship, a, a portable place they could take up and take to their next location. But the tabernacle is where the Jews saw God dwelling. And on the day of atonement, the, 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 the Shekinah glory would come down And this kind of glory would enter the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go and would go in and offer a sacrifice for the people's sins. And when they heard that word tabernacle, they heard the tabernacle in the wilderness. John is saying, I want you to understand something. That tabernacle that you so revered that, that you so loved that, that, that later David desired to turn the tabernacle into the temple and, and by Solomon it was, but, but that tabernacle which is a part of your history and a part of your life and a part of your religious heritage, that tabernacle in the wilderness has now come in the flesh. It's not walls and a holy of holies and an inner court, and it's not all these various tools of worship and an altar. Tabernacle is in a person. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. And, And he came full of grace and full of truth. John bore witness to him, and we bear witness to him, for from his fullness we have received grace Upon grace because the law came through Moses at Mount Sinai. In those ten words engraved on those tablets of stone. Moses received the law. Moses gave us the law. But grace and truth, the fullness of the revelation of God. The fullness of the purpose of His coming the fullness of the truth of his salvation. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. When I read these 17 verses here that make up the prologue, the introduction, if you will, to John's gospel, when I read those verses, there's so, it has something, there's mystery there, we know, and there's all this... But there's something of a haunting effect when I read those. Now, I don't mean haunting the way you think of haunting. I don't mean it like the fake and artificial haunted houses you might go in. I don't even mean ghosts and goblins and and things like that. But I'm saying that when I read those verses, there's something that just grips me in in a way that, that is hard to express with words. It's a haunting effect. It's I see the glory of Christ revealed. I, I see the glory of Christ tabernacling among us. I see the glory of God that came down in the Shekinah glory in the tabernacle and the Shekinah glory in the temple. And I see that behind that veil that was there, but I see that on that day that he was crucified, the veil was torn, the veil was rent, and it was opened up. And there was the glory of God hanging on a cross for all of us to see. I have to think that even when a believer, excuse me, when an unbeliever would read these verses, there's the haunting of Christ there. There's the reality there that Paul talked about in Romans 1 when he said that God has revealed Himself through general revelation to all men. And so all men are without excuse I have to believe that if an unbeliever would take time to read verses 1-17 through of John's gospel, that, that they would have to say there's something there that is unsettling. There's something there that's unnerving about it, even though I don't believe. And you see, that's really what I pray for at Advent. I pray that there would be a haunting in people's lives by Jesus Christ. I pray that there would be this unsettling because they hear over and over about the manger. They hear over and over about the baby. They hear over and over the beautiful story of that poor couple having to go into a stable to give birth. And it sounds so sweet. sounds so innocent it really sounds so non-threatening folks at birth was the most threatening thing that ever happened in all of human history that birth was the most dangerous thing that ever happened in all of human history that that birth was something that changed the course of all human history. And and that birth was not just a baby, that was the baby, that was the, the God Himself taking on flesh and dwelling among us. It has to be just a little bit haunting. If you get beyond the sentimentality and the superficiality, of what is always presented in the Christmas story. Folks, this is one who came to seek and to save the lost. Even in the manger, his purpose had begun. It was to come and seek and to save a people for himself. To establish God's kingdom on earth, to establish God's church, to establish the people of God, of which God says, you will be my people and I will be your God in a new covenant relationship. Yeah, there's nothing syrupy and sweet about Christmas story. It's all about how God broke into human history in order to change human lives. And so I would say this, this Advent season, this Christmas season, as we come to think about the glory that came down full of grace and truth, as we think about the true light that the world didn't know and the world tries to put out every single day, I would encourage you to think about the one who came. If you're a believer, I would encourage you to think about how You can tell someone about that light, and about that grace, and about that glory, and about that truth. If you're not a believer in Christ, I would encourage you to consider that. Consider what all that means. Consider in totality who He is. Because when the Jews heard who he was, they rejected it. We know better. I know better. When those who receive the grace of God, they bow before him and they say, My Lord and my God. And they worship him. Let's pray.